Well, happy Reformation Sunday, City Chapel. Thank, woo, yeah, yeah. Let's let's woo for the fact that we needed the Reformation to bring us back to the Scriptures, sola scriptura. Happy Reformation Day, City Chapel. Thank you. I'm like, Lord, I don't even want to preach here. Let's go. Let's go find someplace else where they're more excited about the Word of God. Okay, good. Well, I hope that we all find ourselves in that place of, um, of, of wrestling with the fact that sola scriptura is a beautiful thing. And that's one of the things that stirred Martin Luther, his heart, was reading the scriptures and comparing what he was reading in the scriptures to what the church was doing in that present time and saying we need to correct some things, we need to reform some things. And therefore we have what we identify as the Reformation Sunday but let our hearts not rest in that. Let us find ourselves constantly coming to the Word of God, desiring to be reformed and reforming ourselves, our thinking, our hearts, our logic, our emotions, bringing it all subject to this Word. Amen? And I hope that as we press into the text today, and that you would leave with a desire and a hunger for the Word that that would be something that would be refreshed in us. So let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. <sighs> October launched for us a new series in this letter, Sojourners in Exile, a sermon series on 1 Peter, where as we see him opening up, elect exiles. And this is sermon number four. So if you haven't had the opportunity to hear the first three sermons, I would encourage you to connect with the deacons and, and get it from them because it really is building the foundation of where we're going in the series. And there's so many things that are so important in the opening verses of this letter. But I'm not going to give you too much review. And we know this letter was written to the churches in Asia Minor. to encourage them, to strengthen them. And that's why we come here today, to be encouraged and to strengthen ourselves, to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, to find ourselves pressing on in, in what the week has in store for us. So if you have a Bible, I ask you to turn there. If you have a pew Bible, you will find First Peter on page 1014. We'll be focusing this morning on verses 10 through 12. And so let's pick up in verse 12. Hear now the reading of God's word. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things to which angels long to look. May the Lord add his own blessings to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Father, we come before you acknowledging that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That you are the living God. And that you have been so gracious to us in giving us your word in written form. In sending your beloved son, the living word, to tabernacle with us. 
that we might know your character, that we might experience your holiness. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would increase our hope and ability to rejoice in all things as we submit ourselves and our hearts to the word that you have given us. And we ask these things not just for our benefit, but that you, Lord Jesus, might be glorified through the way that we handle the word, the scriptures. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Our salvation that we speak about, that we rejoice over, that we, that we celebrate, has come with awesome privileges. And that's what we see in the first several verses. The great blessings that are ours because of the gospel in Christ Jesus. In verses 1 to 9 has built us up in that truth. And now as we turn to verse 12, we're looking at this common salvation that we express, that we hold to. And we see these truths being unpacked for us concerning our salvation. And I want to remind you that it is with deep pastoral care and desire that Peter is writing this letter to the churches in Asia Minor. He wants them to be living on mission. He wants them to know what it means to apply the gospel to themselves and to those around them. And to find themselves not in a place where they're willing to compromise with the culture or retreat and run away from the culture. But walking that razor's edge, knowing the liberties, the freedoms that they have in Christ, but not indulging to be accepted by the culture, but knowing the balance. And, and so often we as Christians, we fall on either side of that razor's edge. We want to be conservative and just make sure we protect ourselves and our holiness and our club. And on the other side, we want to be so effective in the culture that we get seduced by it and we become ineffective. On one side, we become almost too salty. And on the other side, we've lost our salt. But Peter wants these disciples to walk on that razor's edge, to be effective within the context and the culture that they live in amongst their Gentile friends, knowing full well that it will cost them. It will cost them. It always costs us to walk on that razor's edge and to be disciples of Christ. And just for a little bit of clarity and understanding, let me, let me unpack that a little bit. Is You think of John the Baptist. And you think of Jesus. And there's no win-win situation here. Jesus is like, listen, I sent you John the Baptist. Right? Not eating or drinking. And he said he's full of demons. I come eating and drinking, and you accuse me of being a friend of prostitutes and sinners. Peter is wanting to remind them to know and to practice walking and following Jesus on that razor's edge and being effective. And in many ways, these verses, they, they point out to us the, the key tools that we need to be properly equipped to accomplish the mission that we've been given. The mission that Jesus left the Father and the Holy Spirit, left that place of glory, humbled himself, came down, tabernacled with us, and lived out the mission and then turned around to us and said, I've lived the mission, you're part of the mission, you're equipped for the mission, now follow me. And in many ways these verses are reminding us of the primary equipment the Lord has given us regarding the mission that he's entrusted us with.
for it's Jesus who said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to obey all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what is used to equip us. So Peter now begins to write so that we can reflect on these three groups. We have the prophets in their search. We have the prophets in their they're pressing in, they're digging in. We have the preachers in their preaching. They're not the source, but they carry the message forward. But then we have this uniqueness with the apostles, and the apostles are leaning on the prophets and the work that they've done, but they're also the preachers, and they're also bringing forth ongoing revelation. But if we put it in the context of today, I'm not a source of ongoing revelation. I'm not a source of ongoing revelation. Logan, do me a favor. Hit all the top lights. Turn all these lights off. All the lights are gone. Okay? You have the cross behind me that's lit up. I don't come here with new revelation. No one comes here with new revelation. The preachers in their preaching is to bring illumination to this word. Logan, turn the lights back on. That is what today is about. Us coming together, submitting ourselves under the scriptures together, letting the scriptures minister to us, teach us, and all I do, and anyone who steps in this pulpit, is say, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the room? Would you illuminate our hearts? Would you illuminate our understanding concerning this word that you've given us from the prophets and the apostles? And then we have the angels and their ministry and this great longing. So we pick up concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the, time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That's a hard word for me. Subsequent glories. Because I have a speech impediment. And there's lots of words that are hard for me. They just get stuck. If anybody wants this job, they can come get it. <laughs> Thank you for being gracious. These were the writers of the Old Testament. The Old Covenant. Testament or covenant. An agreement between two or more persons. These scribes are writing out and living the covenant that Yahweh is revealing to them in a very organic way. And we call these collectively the scriptures. The Torah, making up the Pentateuch and, and all the, the, the judges and the kings and the minor prophets and the greater prophets, all coming together, the Old Testament writings. And these alone are the things that we have concerning what we identify as revelation given to the prophets, revealing to us and explaining to us the character of the Lord, giving us an understanding and a glimpse and, and bringing clarity regarding the covenant of redemption and what God is doing throughout redemptive history and how this is all coming together. It starts to answer these questions. Who is the true God? And what is this true God doing? And, and who is this true God doing it to? Because there's all kinds of 
false gods, false idols, false ideologies, false things out there for people to invest their souls into. But this is what the prophets come proclaiming, that there is one true living God. Besides Him, we know no other God. And the prophets are in awe, gripped by the message that the Spirit of Christ in them is giving them for their generation. They're overwhelmed. Like, you look, and you read and you meditate and you think about the life of the prophets and what they went through. Public discipleship, we were, we were, we were focusing on this, and, and I really enjoyed talking. I just want to encourage you guys, like, pulpit discipleship should kind of look like this. Because basically it's us saying, you know, not only are we working with guys who desire to become preachers, but we're also working with those who desire to have an understanding. And when a sermon is put in front of them, they would have more tools and more resources to understand the sermon. So when we do something like pulpit discipleship, what it really is, is it's, it's discipleship for all of us. And it's available to all of us, but we're focusing really on this group who wants to grow in their preaching ability. Because they have a hunger, there's something stirring in them. They want to be able to proclaim the gospel with clarity and with accuracy. They want their skills regarding hermeneutics and homiletics to be stretched and strengthened so that they can serve the body of Christ and equip it and encourage it on the mission that we've been called to. As we grow and we desire to find ourselves like the prophets, figuring out what's happening with this concept of the high priest. When is the Christ, the anointed one, coming? What's going on here, Lord? And they're captivated by this salvation. They're knowing and growing in this covenant of redemption in their dispensation, in their time period. So back in verse 9, Peter says, We, that being us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have turned to him in faith and repentance, those of us, we who know that we have tasted and had our sins forgiven, we, the new covenant, are now obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. The salvation the prophets experienced to a degree that they knew about, that they knew also had to come in a way that it would experience fullness because it's not there yet but yet they are so captivated by it and pressing in and wanting to know more and more and more about this salvation that God has revealed to them the promises that he has made concerning his people they long to know more and they want to understand the plan the manner and how all of this is going to unfold. But they don't get it. They get pieces of it. They get parts of it. And they study each other's writings and each other's visions and each other's messages from angels. They, they study each other's prophecies and the work that's come through. And they wrestle and they, they, they talk and they, they plan and, and they apply. And there's all that stuff. And it's important. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is what the Holy Spirit has actually brought forth as revelation to them. Right? And they long to know more. Oh Lord, our Lord, what are you doing to us, your people Israel, 
And what are you going to do to the Gentiles who you've promised through Abraham that they also will be his sons and daughters? And so they give themselves diligently to search and to inquire and to press in with the Scriptures and the study of it. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, who brings glory to the Son, is at work even in the Old Testament. We believe that, right? The Holy Spirit is working in them, stirring up truth about the coming Messiah because He's preparing the message and the messengers for what's to come. And they did not fully understand, and yet here they are searching diligently, pressing into what they have, praying that they might grow in their understanding, praying that they might be effective to teach and to explain it to those who are around them. I don't know what it would be like to be, you know, pick any prophet. Listen, let's pick the one that we don't recognize much. The guy who's like, you know, I wrote a book and you guys didn't read it very often. Which one? Which one do you want? Just give me a name, an old prophet. Who? Haggai? I heard Haggai. Can you imagine Haggai getting his revelation? And then to his generation, it's like, <laughs> I got a revelation from the Lord. I'm a prophet of the Lord, right? Okay, I've gone through the test of the prophet. I've passed because I'm still talking to you. <laughs> what was the test? False prophet, what? Rocks. Hitting you in the head. You're dead. So I've passed the test of the prophet. Things have come true. Here I am. I've got this prophecy. And now I'm going to preach to you out of my own prophecy. I'm going, to, I'm going to take my own prophecy and take you back to the scriptures to unfold what God is doing. And even though we got this fresh manna, this fresh revelation, like that's quite the responsibility, isn't it? It's interesting. And I think about that, how that worked for them. And we look at it and we find ourselves on this side of the cross, this side of the sacrifice of the high priest, on this side of, of the empty tomb, knowing and having an account of his words and his work. His life lived and his life sacrificed. 2020 vision, right? Or hindsight vision, whatever. We look back and we see it, we know it, we can reflect on it. They didn't have that. They looked forward. And we who are believers in Christ, we enjoy the benefits of, of his death, his resurrection, and that we've been united to him by faith with the full picture of what was accomplished on the cross with privileges that are far greater than any of those prophets, any of those Old Testament saints had in so many ways. But you can't help thinking to yourself, it would have been pretty awesome to see the Red Sea get split open and walk through that, right? It would have been pretty awesome. There's a list of things. Like I have a list of things. I'm like, that would have been awesome. <laughs> The ground opening up and devouring all the dissenters who didn't like Moses. Like, it's like, whoa! There's still a part where, you know, Moses is laying down his head and going, Thank you, Lord. That grieved me a lot, but it was pretty awesome. It should be easier to lead these people now. He wakes up in the morning, and it's not, right? They had these things, but these things, even these miracles that they witnessed, did it carry them on? It's like, how long until they're like, I want to go back to Egypt. 
See, it's not those things that maintain us. It's the Word living in us, ministering and being applied to us. And it was revealed to them, and I love this, with all the privileges and all the things that we have and, and all the things that they experienced, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, that they were experiencing and writing these things. They weren't serving themselves. They were serving who? Us. Peter says, you, his generation. So everyone from Peter, when he wrote the letter on, it's us. We're, we're included in that, serving you. And since we have so much more than them, we ought to be so much more diligent and eager to enjoy all the blessings that our Savior purchased for us, that are offered to us in His Holy Word. As we serve the generation that we live in now and the generation that is coming. We're called to be people of the book. I want to be known as people of the book. When the Muslims, the only thing that they got really, really correct, absolutely correct in the, in the Quran is the people of the book. That's me, that's my team. I want to be the people of the book, right? And we're called to be on mission with the message that we have been provided from the book. Peter mentions the preachers and, and their preaching, the preaching of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel. And it's interesting when you think about it because all the apostles, as, as they went, they had revelation coming to them. They had revelation coming, new revelation, right? In a dark time, lights out, they're getting new revelation. But what is their foundational text? The Old Testament, the Old Covenant. They're taking that text, that's their text, turn with me to the book of and they're preaching on it, but they have revelation. They're not just illuminating the room. They are building new furniture to accent the room, to complement the room, to complement everything that the prophets have done before them. And so now we have the prophets and the apostles and the revelation that they have provided for us. I'm so sorry you have to dodge in and out behind that post. And it's a glorious thing. I'm here to serve you. The Christ that the prophets predicted is the Christ that the preachers proclaim. And they build and they labor, like all of us, on the work of the prophets. And so now we get to say that we as preachers in our time, in our day, in our generation, we get to build and labor on the work of the prophets and the apostles for the benefit of the church today. And that's what this pulpit is about. That's what pulpit ministry is about. Pulpit discipleship is growing up and strengthening preachers. They might find themselves ministering the word of God to people. And these preachers, they, they preach the word by the Holy Spirit from the Holy Text. And the content of their message is Christ. Christ. Christ himself applied to the generation that we live in. And what we see here is Peter announcing to us that we have to have the clarity and the understanding of what God is doing. He wants them to understand it so that they're effective in Asia Minor. He wants us to understand it so that we're effective today. That you might be encouraged and motivated and strengthened 
not to go live your life like me, not to go mimic my life and, and the race that I have to run and the things that I have to do for Christ, but that through this word you would press in and you would study and you would know and identify the race that you have to run, what Christ is calling you to and what obedience looks like. I look at this congregation and so many of us are in the chapter right now where for you, your greatest responsibility in this text is to be a faithful father and a faithful husband. And that's the most important chapter in so many of your lives right now. And then besides that, begin discipling your children. Everything else is kind of gravy. When you have those opportunities to go and meet people and, 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 and do ministry, your primary is that. Your secondary is others. Amen? I'm in a different chapter. I remember the days where, yeah, I'm full-time ministry and, and, and that's my livelihood, but I'm also a, a, a young husband and a young father. And we just stayed above water. Like, we just kept it afloat. Like, we weren't going out and running and trying to be, you know, the 40-year-old empty nesters who have so much time for ministry. We're, we're in this camp. We're like, Lord, no one died today. Thank you, Jesus. I remember those days. We're all in different seasons. We're all in different chapters. But we're all called to know this book, to love this book, to wrestle with this book, and apply it to the chapter that we're in right now in the days that we're living. There's no way around that. And Peter says that faithful preaching opens the scriptures, it interprets, it interprets the Old Testament in light of the New Testament revelation in every part, proclaiming and applying who Jesus is, what he has applied, and what we're supposed to do with it. Because what he's done is glorious. And the salvation that we have and, and what we've tasted is amazing. And that, in simplicity, is the essence of faithful preaching. It's that convicting, that converting power that comes from the Spirit alone. It just happens to be delivered through my personality, through my strengths, through my weaknesses. I, I want to, as, as much as possible, just get out of the way. But I really can't. Right? Because the Lord uses us with our character strengths, with our character weaknesses, each of us for his glory. And he's not trying to change that. He's not trying to make me look like someone else when it comes to preaching. I don't know who your favorite preacher is. I shared a little bit. We had the... How am I doing for time? I shared a little bit on Wednesday. I'm thank, thankful for everyone who came out. I really enjoyed Nikki and I sharing all the stories. There's one story that we left out, which was pretty encouraging. I got to preach in Penticton, and, and um, it, was, it was we had been to that church. Was that the third time then, Nick? That would have been the third time? And it was the most awkward. Just, it was the most awkward Sunday service, where the kind of the Sunday service where you're like, I would not invite people here. And then I had to go up and preach. And I'm just like, <laughs> so I preach. And at the end of preaching, the, the, I'm just following kind of their, their model, right? You preach, have a good week. No closing song, no nothing. It's done, right? So I preach, give a benediction, 
Have a good week. Done. And the Filipino gentleman who was worshiping with us, leading us, and his wife, and uh, they seem tired. You know, you kind of see, you know, for the people who are leading your worship, they seem tired. He comes over to me right after. He says, Pastor, I just want to thank you for delivering the word of God today. I really appreciate the way that you preach. And I'm like, thank you. I'm not sure what you mean by the, the way that I preach, but I hope I was faithful to the text and the Lord was glorified. Thank you for the encouragement. And then someone else interrupted us. As we were all getting ready to leave and time had gone by, he came back to me. He said, Pastor, forgive me. I worked last night from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. this morning. And then I went and got my family and brought them to church, and I let, him, I, let, I let some worship, and so my mind's a little bit fuzzy and stuff, but I want to thank you for doing expository preaching. Alistair Bag is my favorite pe- preacher. And I'm like, what? First of all, I'm on the place where he's comparing me to Alistair Bag because our styles are completely different, and he has a much better voice than me. He's just not even a comparison. Right? The only, the only, he's not saying you're like Alistair Begg. The only thing he's saying is basically you're trying to do expository preaching, and I appreciate that. Good job, Pastor. But I found myself saying, how did you, how did you get here? And he tells me his name's Arsenio, and he moved from Grand Prairie two months before us. See, Alistair Begg is one type of Messenger. Shane Fox is another kind of messenger. Peter Robinson is another kind of messenger. We shouldn't get so caught up with the messenger, but whether or not the messenger is faithful to the text, and whether or not even in their character strengths and character flaws, are they bringing the text to life through the Holy Spirit and it's being applied to your hearts. The Westminster Larger Catechism question an answer for 155, you can look it up, but basically it tells us how the word that is preached, the word, this word, is made effectual unto salvation, and I encourage you to look at it. So the prophets search and the preachers preach, but what about these angels and, and their, their longing? Angels. Just as we get out of the gate here, I just want to let you know that angels are the best theologians. Do you guys believe that? That angels are the best theologians besides Jesus? And when you think of it, that angels are better theologians than any human who has lived because they're witnessing it, they're watching, and yet they're longing. They're longing. We're told the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories are captivating the angels, these hosts of heaven, things into which the angels long to look, long to understand, long to see come to light. The word longing there is important. Angels are there when the foundations of the world are laid. Angels are there before the foundations of the world and they see the rebellion. And one-third of them becomes demons, who, by the way, are still fantastic theologians, even though they're demons. They're just evil theologians. 
They've been part of the unfolding of the Godhead's plan and messengers sent to help strengthen those who are elect with prophetic words. I don't know what your understanding of angels is. I don't know whether you're in the category right now where you collect baby angels and things. I'm not telling you not to do that. Just don't tell people that that's what angels are. I'm not going to give you a full doctrinal position on what angels are. But please don't be the person when you're in glory and angels have to walk up beside you and be like, really? You're telling them that we were the babies that died? You're telling them that they start as babies that died and they get their baby angel wings and then they grow into these angels? Like, really? Like, no one wants Gabriel coming alongside and being like, your doctrines concerning angels was awful. So that's not what this is about, but we want to address the longing, the longing of angels. I know what my understanding is of angels because I've wrestled with it. I've gone to the text. I've, I've tried to, you know, from my childhood, I've, I've been intrigued to know what angels are. And I say this not to draw attention to me, but I've seen them as a child. I've seen them as a teenager. And I've seen them as an adult. And none of them were babies. Diapers with angel poo-poos in them. None of them were. None of them were. The first time I saw angels, the child scared me. Scared me. But then something comforted me and said, these are here to safeguard you. The second time I seen angels... The sound barrier broke. And I saw a figure come out from the side of my house, run down towards me. I'm playing street hockey. And I'm like, you guys have heard like planes that break the sound barrier, right? And then it runs in front of my house and through my door. And I kind of drop my hockey stick and run into the house. And I'm like, Dad, did you see that? Did you hear that? My dad's at the kitchen table, weeping, praying, the Bible open, and I hadn't seen that before. But I just want to encourage you to come alongside me and conclude that they are awesome. And that they're old, and that they're faithful messengers. And that when they're in your presence... You might be tempted to worship them. But angels had been there at every point in the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. They observed the eternal Son, their Lord, the Maker, humble himself and take flesh and be joined to human nature in the womb of the Virgin. Just watching from the outside. Then they have the responsibility, they have the role regarding messengers, angel, messenger, that's what it means, messenger. And they announced with awe and joy the pregnancy of Mary, and then they filled the skies with song and praise at the birth of our Savior. 
They were there ministering to Christ in his trial in the wilderness. And at all, I mean, I'm saying most likely at all, that the one who was the lawgiver, the one who the law appoints us to regarding the standard of holiness himself, had to live it out in obedience and be tested by one of their ranks that fell and took one-third with them. This douchebag actually gets to test the living God? And he's there, and he passes the test, but yet he's suffering, but he's found to be without sin. Not like the first Adam. Christ is a far better Adam. And they come alongside, and they minister to him. Whoa! They're the ones who come and encourage the law. They strengthen the prophets. They have conversations. They have all kinds of things concerning the truth that we have. And at the max of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, they see the suffering on the cross as he's crying out all kinds of things. All kinds of things. Just picture yourself, like I do this all the time, picture yourself as an angel watching what is happening in the universe at that moment as demons and humans are mocking the Christ and Demons are there, angels are there, political powers are there, and they're just watching going, just give the word, Lord. You are the Lord of hosts, just give the word. Like Peter already started to try to pick the fight, cutting off the high priest's servant's ear. Just give the word, Lord. We'll end this. Darkness covered the earth as the sun cries out to the Father. And the angels are watching as they witness the one who knew no sin was made sin for us. Us. Like worms. We're worms. We're worms. The scripture calls us worms. What? Why, Lord, are you mindful to us? And they held their swords and they watched the demons and creation mock the Lord of hosts. Until they heard that final cry, it is finished with his last breath. They were there to witness the eternal Son made flesh, now risen from the grave. And they're astonished. They're in awe. They're there because death had no claim to him. Sin was not found to be part of him. And he's released from the grave, resurrected. They ministered to both Marys when they came to care for Jesus, expecting Jesus to still be in the tomb. They roll, like, think of, like, <laughs> they ro- soldiers there, angels, pff, like, whoa! They roll away the tomb. And then they turn around and they gently minister to the Marys and say, listen, the one you're searching for, the one you're looking for, he's no longer here, but he is alive. Go and tell the disciples. Messengers. And those girls go forward with great fear and great joy, proclaiming what the angels have told them. As the Lord Jesus ascended into glory and the disciples stood there, the angels were there, messengers to let them know that in the same manner in which the Christ had left, he would one day return in glory. At every point, remember the angels 
This is why they are greater theologians than us, any human, because they have borne witness to the life and to the ministry of Jesus. They have watched it the longest, and yet they are still longing, still looking. They did their duty as messengers. They're still this day continuing to do their duties with messenger, as messengers. Don't let anyone ever tell you that that's not happening today. Because I will tell you that those people are wrong, that angels are still ministering spirits. I'm not talking about the whole guardian angel thing. That's a whole thing that I'm not promoting right now. But at no point were they, I want you to get this, objects of the Lord Jesus Christ's mission. They've heard about it. They've been watching it unfold. But at no point are they objects of the Lord Jesus Christ's mission. It was not for them that he came. This week, just go and read the first four or five chapters of Hebrews and just see the, the hierarchy, the chain of command regarding, regarding the Lord Jesus Christ and, and us who were worms but are now co-heirs with Christ and, and where angels fall into place. It wasn't for them. It was all for us. Jesus came for us. He bled for us. He rose again for us. And he's coming back for us. And they're just watching. They're looking on. They must wonder and think, what must it be like? What must it be like for these humans to be the recipients of such love? To be the ones who, all of this redemptive history are actually the goal, the end game. That they're the ones who are the desire of the Lord. As we just watch. It's not that they don't understand the meaning, but their knowledge is only that of an onlooker in a participant's way regarding messages and ministry. Never that of the one who is receiving all the privileges of salvation. Never the ones who have all of this being applied to them. They don't know what it is like to have sin forgiven. They don't know what it is like to have that burden, that great burden, knowing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and to have that removed from you as Jesus' righteousness wraps around you and the Holy Spirit confirms that you are sons and daughters of the living Christ. They don't know what it's like to be adopted as a child of God. They, they can read about it. They can see it happen. They understand the principles, but they do not know what it's like to be an orphan and then to cry out, Papa, Abba, Father. They don't know. They've been watching, and they've been longing, and they've been looking. They don't know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit regenerate our hearts. To have something that's in you made of stone taken out and to see a heart of flesh but put in. They don't know what it's like to see dead bones begin to come to life and sing praises to the Lord. 
They don't know what it's like to stumble and fall, to cry out to a loving Father who remembers our frame, that we're frail, that we're weak, that we're made of dust, and to watch him minister to us with compassion, not punishing us as our sins deserve, but being long-suffering. And by his grace, he picks us up from the dust and he cleans us off and he reminds us that we're empowered to press on, to persevere till we cross that finish line. They don't know what it's like. They will never know what it is like to be lifted out of the pit, to have your desires satisfied with good things. And to actually taste the glory of salvation. And they got to stand there sometimes and think to themselves, and these guys are going to judge us. We've been watching, watching them for thousands of years. Oh, just think of John the Baptist and his struggle as he was a faithful prophet. And he announced the kingdom. And he tasted death and he was confused. I believe the angels sometimes watch everything and have moments where they're still confused. Do you ever have moments, and I hope you do this week, where you almost feel creepy because you think of what you're doing and it's not so much the Lord Jesus is there in his presence everywhere, but angels are like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm saying it in the proper context. Shane, what are you doing? Are you retarded? Like, is, is something broken? Are, are you not able to get past this? Why, like a dog, like, Michael, Raphael. The kids are excited in the basement. They're like, they're talking about Ninja Turtles upstairs. No. Watch these guys. What are they doing? There's something wrong with them. Like, is this one's heart actually, like, can you look in there and see if it's still stone? Because some days, things just don't add up. But think of, think of John, the Apostle John, and his encounter when he is taken up and he has this, this moment with this angel in Revelation. 19. I'm going to read some of it. I encourage you to meditate on, on it the rest of the week. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roaring of many waters, and like the sound of mighty pleas of thunder. Sorry, mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, his bride, those who are in Christ, us who love Jesus, who trust in him alone, has made herself ready. It was granted, this amazing grace was granted to this bride who the angels have never been recipients of. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. 
And the angel said to me, <laughs> write this. Like, like John is like, who's saying it? This is awesome. This is amazing. This angel is like, he's like, John, you should probably write this part down. Okay, right. Let me write this down. This stuff's so good. I'm going to use it in my sermon on Sunday. I'm going to write this down. Oh, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are who? Like, John, get this. Write this part down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb because I'm a guest, John. I'm an angel and I'm a guest. The guests are invited. The bride is part of the ceremony. Okay? John, you're, you're part of the bride. You're part of the church. So listen. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The guests. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. John in the first person says, and I fell down on him. He fell down on his feet to worship him. John, he falls down on his feet. So let's get that, okay? You have a picture? You're with me? The angel says, these are the true words of God. John falls down, and what does he want to do? He wants to begin worshiping the angel. He wants to worship the angel. At this point, it brings me back to my conversation. Like, the angel is like, what, what are you doing? What is broken here? Do not worship me. And it says in verse 10, about to sin, that's what John's going to do. He's about to sin and become the father of all angel worship cult baby stuff ever throughout human history. But someone else took that role because the angel said to him, you must not do that. You must not do that. Do what? Don't fall down and worship me. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's the angel's invited as guests to see his glorified bride, the church, that is us. And they are only in the place of looking in onto it. And so they look down and they see us struggling to understand our blessings found in this book. They see us often stumbling, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And the angels are like, you're lucky that chain's only so long, fool. And we hit the end of our chain and we turn around and say, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. And they are amazed because even the least of us with saving faith know and have tasted firsthand what they could never and will never taste. Among the most precious, precious privileges friends entrusted to us. And I desire you to see this from this, these verses we've looked at this morning. The most precious, precious privilege that we find ourselves in is having the Word of God. Like no other generation before us, we have so many apps, so many tools, so many resources, so many sermons, so many good preachers, so many fill-in-the-blank prophets searched it, the preachers proclaim it with preaching, 
Angels long to know what it's like to enjoy such blessedness. However, they are our fellow servants who hold to the testimony of Jesus. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. But you and I, we are the objects of the grace that's released that this book teaches us, teaches us about. And we find ourselves desiring to come under this book, under the authority of the living God, growing and understanding his gospel as we know and have tasted and experienced what it means to be transitioned into communion with Christ his, himself as his co-heirs. His covenant faithfulness is the fullness of our covenant blessings. And they're contained in the sacred writings of the Old and New Testament. May God awaken in us a renewed passion for the living word, the Holy Scriptures, our living testimony. Because really, if you don't have that in you, don't step into the pulpit. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our gracious Father, by your Spirit, awaken us from the youngest to the oldest with a deep longing, a, an unquenchable desire, a passion, a hunger for, for your Word. May there be a place in our souls where the appetite for your Word is just so great. And for, for us to be diligent, Lord, that we wouldn't We wouldn't make others think that we're just in the word or that we're just people of the word. But we'd find ourselves in our secret place with you, searching, wrestling, growing in your word. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't find ourselves in a place where we're demanding and now we need to... <laughs> oh. Lord, may you be glorified in our lives. We ask it in your name. Amen.